After recording last week's podcast, I came up with an answer to my own question. How did the Wampa attach Luke Skywalker's feet to the ceiling of the ice cave in The Empire Strikes Back? I premised that, I don't think that's a word, but my thoughts were that he either melted the ice or he spit up there or he peed up there uh, to get Luke Skywalker stuck to the ceiling. But then I realized there's actually a much simpler explanation, a much simpler way, because then I thought, how would I do it if I wanted to do that kind of thing? What you could do is dig a small hole and put Luke Skywalker's feet in that and then fill that with liquid. So it could be melted ice, it could be pee, it could be whatever, but any liquid's gonna be fine because it's gonna freeze pretty quickly. And before it freezes completely, you could pull it out and then you'd have his feet encased in soft ice and then push it up to the ceiling and it would freeze to the ceiling. I'm actually assuming the ceiling of the cave being rock that is frozen is really, really cold. So if you push the ice that's almost frozen up into it, you would then have something that would seal up really quickly. Um, so there's one way to figure out problems. If you bring me problems, of course I will theorize with you. I'm quite happy to do that. But here we are. I have actually just done the simplest thing. It's how would I get someone's feet stuck in ice and then stick it to the ceiling i would dig a small pit put their feet in there if luke skywalker started to wake up you could just beat him around the head a bit more i mean you could keep him unconscious pretty easily in fact that might be the most enjoyable part of this process in thor ragnarok yes i'm talking about the hulk again shut up so in thor ragnarok so there's a scene where bruce banner reclaims his own body and he finds some of tony stark's clothes on the magic airplane that gets them to the other planet i forget what it's called but the first complaint he makes is that tony wears his pants really tight what are you doing stop doing Tell him tony wears his pants super tight stop sorry it. why are you being so weird now there's actually a secondary sort of subtle joke there that maybe tony stark doesn't have a big penis compared to bruce banner but i'm not actually getting into that part that's not the part i really am concerned about it is the fact that Bruce Banner is saying the pants are tight in his normal state. Now, you probably already know where this is going. Later on in the film, he changes into the Hulk. That's actually the whole premise of him being there is that he can be the Hulk. When he turns into the Hulk, his pants don't rip off completely. So I did come up with a theory to explain this because I don't always just want to rip on how they're not realistic. Tony Stark is smart enough or has the forethought to actually prepare pants for himself, knowing that Bruce Banner will, might end up having to wear his clothes, so he's kept like an extra set of clothes on the airplane, 
knowing that no one else has made that sort of preparation. So he's prepared clothes that not only will fit him, but have the magic expansion ability. Maybe it's some sort of high-tech spandex or nanotechnology. You can basically just throw nanotechnology into anything and it, it works out as sort of an explanation. So some of the nanotechnology has been applied to these pants so that when Bruce Banner turns into the Hulk and his expansion occurs, it doesn't actually rip the pants. Those pants were pre-prepared for the Hulk, for Bruce Banner, by Tony Stark as clothes that he would wear himself. Now, I'm wondering if they actually thought that or if that joke really just didn't belong in that movie because later on they actually would have destroyed that joke. Or if that joke was an accidental oversight and the continuity guy needs to check on those things. Or maybe I need to go back and watch the movie again and see if the Hulk has pants on at all. Now he jumps up towards the end and you can see that he's got some pants on or something. There are scenes at the end where they're walking around and he jumps up towards the big fire monster and, and he, he clearly we're not seeing um, Hulk butt as nice as that might be. So anyways, the Hulk, there seemed to be a magic pair of pants in the Marvel Cinematic Universe. And I would like an explanation, even though I bet the explanation is just nanotechnology. Horror question. My friend from Germany says that America is not the greatest country in the world. How can I convince him otherwise? This is a very good question. I actually really enjoy this idea. The problem is, again, the premise is that the person doesn't really understand what they're saying. Because how you judge a country and how someone from another culture judges a country are going to be different inherently. So I don't think you're going to convince someone from Germany that America is the greatest country in the world because they probably see America as having very different sensibilities. So one thing you could do is show him actual metrics that would appeal to German sensibilities. I think the first problem there is that German sensibilities are going to be along the lines of universal health care, lots of days off, taking care of the workers, a lot of the things that America is not very good at. In fact, I think if you take a European and ask them what metrics are important for a country towards greatness, you're going to find that what they consider important and valuable is going to be almost diametrically opposed to what Americans think is great and greatness. And honestly, once you come up with any actual data, America doesn't tend to perform very well. So the alternative to that, so you can't just pull metrics off the internet right now and say, you know, the average person makes this much income because it's actually going to be lower than Germany. The average person has to pay this much for healthcare, which is actually going to be much higher than Germany. Uh, insurance, days off. I know the vacation, I keep saying days off because I know the vacation packages in Germany are dead serious. They get some of the most days off in the world. But my understanding is when they're at work, they expect you to work. So that's a sort of different sensibility as well. So the alternative, how can you convince him that America is the greatest country in the world? Because none of the facts that you could use now would actually be very convincing. Well, here's the idea. You change the country. So you take all those German sensibilities like free health care and high taxation and taking care of people and no guns and you're not allowed to be Nazis anymore because Germany actually thinks that which is ironic considering that there's a wave of neo-Nazism in America right now. And then you start making changes to the country. You start using those German models to actually apply them to America and you vote in people who will actually apply those things and make them happen. Then not only will you be able to convince your friend that America is the greatest country in the world, you might actually end up with the greatest country in the world by every metric available known to man. Okay, Cora question. 
Why do people say Europe is just as free as the USA when the USA has more guns per capita? Ah, the question asker seems to equate guns with freedom. Um, so I would actually like to take a moment and try to educate the person who asked this question very carefully because I believe the person who asked this question has a lot of guns. But having guns doesn't make you more free as a country. If I could point you towards a country, maybe somewhere in the Middle East, where a lot of people have guns because they're shooting at each other a lot, those places where they have a lot of guns aren't considered particularly free because they have a lot of guns. In fact, a lot of the places in the world that have a lot of guns aren't very free at all. Now, let me just be really clear. I'm not saying I want to take your guns away from you. In fact, I never want to meet you or encounter you in any way, particularly if you're packing heat. But since we're on the internet and you can't shoot through the internet and hit me, guns don't equal freedom. England is a weird place and it has a long and also weird history. One of the more entertaining stories is that there have been multiple serial spanker incidents in British history. One of them happened in 1712. And there were 70 attacks between October and December. So in a two-month period, 70 women were caught unawares, bent over, and spanked vigorously. The serial spanker was eventually caught and... He confessed. His confession, though, reveals a great deal. He was resolved to be revenged on all the women he could come at after that manner for the sake of one perjured female who had been barbarously false to him. So basically what you have here is the story of a guy who got jilted in some way. The barbarously false to him probably means she cheated on him or lied to him in some very significant way. And he found that unacceptable and felt that all women should be punished. But not punished in a way to actually hurt them uh, long term. Certainly spanking is unpleasant and uncomfortable. Certainly uh, in this situation where it isn't requested in advance and you don't pay an extra $25 to get it. Uh, but he wasn't really threatening women's lives in general. He just felt that every woman needed a bit of a paddling to understand the world better and to be better citizens. What we do see is a person who's very driven towards goals because from October to December is only a two-month period and he did 70 attacks. So over that period, that is 17 and a half attacks a week. So he is doing a very good job because he is doing two and a half attacks every single day. Now, beyond this, he actually admitted that he had a goal and that was 100 women before Christmas. So he was well on his way. He only had 30 left to do at the pace he was doing it, two and a half attacks every single day. He was going to get that goal finished and then he was going to stop for the 12 days of Christmas. So people over the Christmas period wouldn't have to worry about getting spanked. They might actually think that the serial spanker whipping Tom had gone away, but his plan was to start again in the new year. Now that didn't happen and that was basically the end of the case because once you've been caught and outed as a serial spanker, you know that every time you turn a corner, people are going to look at you and go, yep, that's the whipping Tom, that's the serial spanker, that's the guy we do not want to turn our backs to. That is not the first instance of a whipping Tom incident in England. The 
Next one is better, primarily because it's first, but it also came with a catchphrase. And the catchphrase is one of my favorite things I would like to start implementing in my life some way. The problem is I will not be in a situation where shouting out this catchphrase is appropriate. But the first Whipping Tom incident was actually in 1672, and they believe it was two attackers, probably working in tandem, and they were working around London and Hackney, a city outside of London. 1681 was the first attack in London. Now, this was the same MO. What they would do is find women who were on their own, walking through alleys or going home or going in some sort of courtyard where people couldn't see them, and they would grab them, bend them over, and spank them vigorously. Then they would run down the alleys and flee. They were almost described supernatural powers because of how quickly they did the attack and how quickly they got away. They thought these were almost ghosts or demons jumping in, grabbing women, spanking them, and taking off. The police could not catch them. And this was leading to several complaints regularly, but the police just weren't able to patrol all these back alleys that existed all the time and be able to catch them. The city just was set up to help people escape the police. So vigilante groups were organized. So now you have groups of people trying to be Batman, going around patrolling areas, trying to catch Whipping Tom, the serial spanker. So now getting to the part that actually made me enjoy this story, he would grab the woman, hit them with his hand or a rod, and the vigilantes would actually dress in drag. They would dress in women's clothing and try to get attacked so that they could try to catch Whipping Tom. But the thing that makes this one of the most exquisite stories is that as he spanked the woman, he would sometimes shout, Spanko! Now, Spanko is something I want to shout, and it's something I want to shout everywhere I go. The problem is there is no situation I have where I could shout Spanko and it actually makes sense because it has to make sense. You can't just go around shouting stuff for no reason because then people wonder, why are you shouting it? But this shows a level of bravery, a level of being beyond just the regular desire to spank a woman. He wants to announce it to the world to make sure everyone knows that spanking is happening and you better look out. And it suddenly sounds a lot like Santa Claus to me because they know where you are they know they're watching you and if you do a bad thing spanko it's coming and it will be hard and fast and it's supernatural and i now think santa claus is actually whipping tom the loss of the loss of podcast the loss of podcast hey sexy friend he's making me his bitch thank you for listening if you have questions or comments, you can tweet at VelociPeter or email VelociPodcast at gmail.com. You can find the podcast on iTunes, Stitcher, Acast or go to VelociPeter.com slash podcast. The Hulk 